0: and all you New Yorkers.
1: Hello. I hope no one's eating dinner. Something like that. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. Dear Jesus. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Well, get ready. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. I can't even contain myself. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History Today is May 15th, and on this day in history, in 1618, Johannes Kepler discovered his harmonics law. On this day in 1856, L. Frank Baum, author of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, was born. On this day in 1862, the U.S. Congress created the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Hey, and it only took us until recently to destroy it. On this day in 1926, the New York... The New York Rangers were officially granted a franchise in the NHL. The NHL also announced that Chicago and Detroit would be joining the league in November. On this day in 1930, Ellen Church became the first female flight attendant. I guess they were only men until that point. Interesting. On this day, in 1940, nylon stockings went on sale for the first time in the U.S. That's a historical event? Hell, on this day, in 1941, Joe DiMaggio began his historic Major League Baseball hitting streak of 56 games. On this day, in 1953, George Brett, Hall of Famer, third baseman for the Kansas City Royals, was born. On this day in 1970, U.S. President Richard Nixon appointed America's first two female generals. And lastly, on this day, in 2014, the National September 11th Memorial Museum was dedicated in New York City. 2014. interesting. 13 years after that tragic day, what the hell took so long? Well, I'll tell ya, I don't know. In fact, what the hell took so long to erect the New World Trade Center, am I right? I mean, for God's sakes, it took almost, I don't know, 13, 14 years to build that piece of crap, and buildings go up here in New York City like crazy. If you can't tell, I'm killing time because these This Day in Histories are way too long and they never take this much time. (laughs) I guess we just don't want to change the template because we are lazy. And by we, I mean me, your host. Just wanted to put that out there, so there it is. Okay, that's what happened on This Day in History. And who knows? Perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come. But who are we kidding? Probably not. You're listening to the next best thing. Stay tuned. Oh, yeah. Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No, but it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, it's been a week. It's been a busy week. It's been a crazy week. I feel like I say that every week because I feel like that's true every week. Before we get into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. If at any point throughout the broadcast you hear an item you would like to discuss or feel there's a tidbit that you could contribute to the show, by all means, feel free to call in. The call-in number is 718-928-9732. Again, that's 718-928-9RFB9732. Or, if you don't want to be heard on the air because you're a little bashful, no problem. You can tweet at us. We are at NextBestRadio. That's at NextBestRadio. Or, go ahead and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page. Stuff that we talk about in any given episode. Information links to pertinent sites, all that stuff. usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash nbtradio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall, you can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something-something to keep us in business. If you like what you hear tonight, well, a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that. Uh, If you Feel so inclined, you can go to rfb.nyc/nbt. Again, that's rfb.nyc/nbt. And the last thing I'll tell you before we get on to the important cool stuff is that all episodes of the Next Best Thing are now available on iTunes as podcasts. Holy crap! That is huge news. It actually happened weeks ago, but every time I say it, I just get a little excited because it's huge. So free- If you ever miss an episode of The Next Best Thing, which, come on, let's be honest, you miss most of them, uh, you can go to the iTunes Store or check the podcast app on your iPhone. Just type in The Next Best Thing, click on our logo, which I trust you know, and there you will find literally all of the past episodes. You'll see the title, so you can pick and choose which ones pique your interest or which ones just simply sound the most bearable. Listen to those, and if you have a few minutes... Rate us, review us, tell a friend, tell a relative, tell an enemy. Do whatever you gotta do to spread the word, because the word of mouth is how we grow. Oh, man, that was exhausting, wasn't it? It was for me. I'm sure it was for you, too. So, that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything...
2: Nobody cares. Nobody cares.
0: Nobody cares.
1: Good. Holy crap, what a week of news it has been. What a day. Well, what a few days of news it has been. The world seems to be ending. The world seems to be crashing in right around us. But don't worry, it's actually happening. You know, we'll get get—we'll get to the national news here in just a second. I don't know if any of you guys read the New York Daily News, but just in case you do, uh, one week ago today, so a few hours before we went on the air last week, you might have noticed a headline that said, Crooked NYC landlord going to prison for bribing City. Big story. Well, guess who that's about? Yep, my landlord. Not even kidding. And the saddest thing about this story is that it really wasn't even a surprise that he was, in fact, the subject of this article. What was surprising was how long it took for this article to be written. Yes, let's see here. This is in the New York Daily News. A chronically crooked landlord was sentenced to up to six years in state prison Monday for bribing a City Department of Buildings official. Herman Epstein, get that? Herman Epstein, 37, paid off disgraced former DOB inspector Russell McCoy on multiple occasions for what he expected would be favorable treatment. Dealing with violations, stop work orders and complaints, prosecutors said. Quote, the defendant is not only a predicate felon, he is also a serial briber, prosecutor stated in a sentencing memo read in court. Yes, it goes on to say Epstein got a three to six year sentence upon his trial conviction for third degree bribery in Manhattan Supreme Court. He is a longtime slumlord, I take offense to that, who abuses tenants, that's true, and has illegally converted buildings into hotels. I don't know about that, I've never seen a hotel, but... That is what they claim. He is also previously convicted for bribery. It goes on. You can find this article on the Daily News' website. But that was pretty fun to find. I have to be honest with you. It really wasn't that concerning for me. All I need to know is, all right, so who do I send my rent check to? That's the truth, and that's just... That is actually a really viable question, and I'm not kidding when I say that. That's, that's what's top on my mind at the moment. So, what else has been going on? Nothing much, really, right? Oh, today is the first day of Season 5 here on Radio Free Brooklyn. So that's exciting. We have a bunch of new shows, a bunch of returning favorites, like this one.
3: The next best
1: thing. Uh, We ranked number four once again in iTunes Downloads and Listens, so that's very exciting, and we thank you all very much for that. Please, please, by all means, keep listening, keep downloading. Now, this all leads to, well, leads to a topic that... I think we've talked about before a time or two on this show. And who are we kidding? I've never been to my feelings on ardent Bernie Sanders supporters and people who were just very, very anti Hillary Clinton has never been a secret. I've made it very known on this show. But one thing that I have sadly never had on the show would be someone to present the opposing viewpoint. Well, guess what, folks? We have that here tonight. So uh, here's a clip, here's Bill Maher's take on Bernie bros and the like, and um, we'll just use his take as a jumping off point. Here is Bill Maher.
0: But in the case of Donald Trump, I will say this about a hundred days. It does give us enough evidence to ask those liberals who couldn't bring themselves to vote for Hillary because she was the lesser of two evils, quite a bit lesser, wouldn't you say now? And no, this isn't about reliving the last election or about my great love for Hillary, which never was. It's about winning the next election. And that begins with learning the difference between an imperfect friend and a deadly enemy. Jill Stein said of her electoral rivals, Hillary and Trump, To me, one is death by gunshot wound, and the other is death by strangulation. Well, I'm sure with Trump in charge and a racist attorney general, there'll be a lot more of both. My dear friend Cornel West said during the campaign, I think Trump will be a neo-fascist catastrophe and Clinton will be a neoliberal disaster. I don't even know what a neoliberal disaster even means but whatever it is, isn't it better than a fascist one? Have you people lost your fucking minds? (laughs) Now, I can't possibly list all of the lies, fuck-ups, reversals, conflicts of interest, and embarrassments Trump has committed in 100 days. I'd have to stop halfway through to shave. (laughs) But honestly, under Hillary... Would we have Attorney General Foghorn Leghorn? (laughs) Or Montgomery Burns in charge of the EPA? (laughs) Or Rick Perry guarding the nukes? Would she have a cabinet made up almost entirely of rich, straight, white men? You know, Hillary, she knows quite a few black people. Trump knows two. I'm sorry, three. Oh, and we also might have a secretary of education who was smarter than a fifth grader. Before the election, Edward Snowden tweeted, 2016, a choice between Donald Trump and Goldman Sachs. Yeah, so what happened? The anti-Wall Street crowd that was too pure to vote for Hillary ended up putting Goldman Sachs people as Trump's top political strategist, the head of his economic council, and our Treasury Secretary, the trifecta. The only people he hasn't hired from Goldman Sachs are Goldman and Sachs. (laughs) If Hillary was president now, would we be turning the clock back on the one issue for which there is no more time, climate change? Would we be having to wonder if our president's love of dictators foreshadows some kind of coup here? Would anyone have to wonder if she was Putin's bitch? And instead of trying to kick millions off healthcare to pay for a tax cut for herself, she'd be trying to raise her own taxes to get more people covered on so many issues. She wouldn't be complaining. It's complicated. Who knew? She knew. She loves complicated. She's a reader. do you really think if just as evil hillary had been elected conservatives would now be in control of the supreme court as they will for decades just wait until the five to four decisions start rolling in gutting unions making it harder for minorities to vote siding with polluters overturning abortion rights then maybe You'll join me in saying to the liberal purists, go fuck yourselves with a locally grown organic cucumber.
1: All right. Joining us now is Dan Zimberg. Dan is a musician, singer, actor, performer, also educator. And he was a Bernie uh, Bernie Sanders supporter turned Jill Stein voter. So, Dan, thanks for staying up and being on the show tonight. We appreciate it.
2: Hey, hey, Jonathan! Thank you, man. It's a it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm I'm very excited to talk
1: with you. Well, listen, okay. So, first of all, based on conversations that we've had in the past, I know that you didn't necessarily think or look at this past election as the lesser of two evils. But you know, still, as a Bernie supporter turns Jill Stein voter, how, how what's your response to something like this Bill Maher take?
3: Um,
2: you know, well, we got to sort of step back a little bit and realize that Bill is, in fact catering to, you know, his California Hollywood audience, um, which is, you know, very much left-leaning. Uh, at the same time, you know, we, you got to realize Bill is, as much as he likes to tell the news, he is a comedian, so he will use a lot more harsher terms and a lot more uh, hyperbole um, just to get his point across. And, um, you know, I, there, there are things that, you know, I agree with, with bill and there are things that i disagree with uh with him
1: how about how about um, this yeah do you know i mean like how about this take would you would you agree or disagree with anything that he said right then
2: oh oh yeah yeah definitely um one of the things is he made a joke about um that someone had tweeted uh, i think it was snowden who tweeted uh, that it's an election between goldman sachs and donald trump mm-hmm. um and and that sort of whole idea is you know my personally my personal belief is that um hillary clinton would have hired a a goldman sachs to be a top heard, uh treasury secretary um you know i even Obama back in 2008 before, um, you know, as, as soon as he won or potentially even before Citibank and, and, um, Morgan Chase were, you know, had given him short lists of people that should, you know, run his, um, be the secretary, uh, treasury secretary. So, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things that I think people, um, don't tend to realize is that both the Democratic and Republican Party are very much uh, intertwined with the sort of big bank, big business uh, sectors of of the United States, and I personally just think that uh, Mnuchin would would be on the short list, whether it was uh, Hillary Clinton, president, or or Donald Trump
1: president. Well, here's the thing. You know, when it comes to something like the Secretary of the Treasury or whatnot, someone who has come from Wall Street and has kind of played that game before, that having one or two of them in um, the cabinet in that kind of position, to me just says, well, you know, yeah, they probably gained some experience in that job, have seen how the game is played, know the ins and outs, know how Mm -hmm. to not be taken advantage of. I feel like, so, you know, one or two, it wouldn't worry me that much. I feel like this Trump administration is really, almost to a T, what guys like you really feared. Every right. single member of this cabinet, down to the Secretary of Education, is a billionaire.
2: Yeah, th- this is definitely, you know, it, you could say it's definitely like Wall Street on steroids. Um, his his cabinet's... Um, they make an incredible amount of money and i think I, I think you speak correctly when you say you know it's it's for some of these positions it's good to have someone you know come from wall street because you know they would have the most experience at least in the financial sector mm-hmm. and
1: but that's the opposite of what you just said
2: at, at the same time you know i don't think that i i don't believe that you know having uh, these these wall street people as the Secretary of Treasury, uh, and things of that nature, uh, is necessarily, you know, because of their experience, is necessarily, you know, a, a good thing. What? Um, they can be undersecretaries, you know, they can play roles under, under a Treasury secretary.
1: Sure. I wouldn't say <laughs> it should disqualify them necessarily either, would you?
2: Uh, I, I, I totally agree with you, um. You know, experience is, is a huge part, and we can see, you know, with a lot of the decisions that Donald Trump has made himself, that uh, being inexperienced can definitely lead to a lot of troubling issues.
1: Well, and speaking of Donald Trump, you know, it's funny because one of the things that he said that was really one of the most absurd, and this is, you know, a tough... Which, which yeah. one, John? At, at the con At the convention when he said, you know, no one knows the tax code like I do which is why I alone can fix it. The point he was trying to make was I have played this game. I have gotten around every single loophole possible, so I know mm-hmm. the loopholes to fix. He was never going to fix them. But my point when I talk about, you know, these people from Halliburton or Goldman Sachs or Wall Street coming in and maybe playing a role on the Treasury Secretary's you know, staff or whatever or being Secretary of Treasury is that you know, while we look at Wall Street and you know Halliburton, Goldman Sachs, Citibank. Well, we looked at those entities as corrupt entities. There are some reasonable, decent people who work
2: there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uh, uh, majority of people I think who work um, on Wall Street are actually you know average, everyday you know decent people. They might obviously make a whole bit sure. load more money than you know the average person, but at the same time, you know,
1: they're just people. Okay, so I think we can agree on that, but the point of this discussion tonight on Mm -hmm. a public forum is because I think, to be honest, and I was actually planning to kind of end with this, but I think it's good just to put this out there so that we're all on the same page. I think right now, more than ever, liberals, progressives, Democrats, whatever you want to call them, should come together, understand one another, and band together to resist and to fight this corrupt evil, evil regime. But it doesn't seem like that's happening quite yet. And so that's why I just kind of, because having the two of us having come from different factions of the same, I think ideals really, mm-hmm. I think maybe we can kind of find some common ground here. So having said that, after the long, hard fought primary, uh, Bernie wasn't quick. And to some, it seemed a little begrudging, but he did eventually get behind Hillary Clinton. And urged mm-hmm. and urged his supporters to do the same. Um, here he is on Morning Joe last fall.
3: In our latest New York Times poll, a, a surprisingly high number of young voters, like a third, are voting for
2: third party candidates. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know they don't remember Ralph Nader, right? They don't they don't remember the effect that that that, that, that can have on a
3: general election with the two party candidates. So, what is your pitch to them? I mean. Th- That's a very good question. And I think the answer is, look, I was a third party candidate. I began my career running as a third party, getting 2% of the vote. Then I got 1% of the votes. I know a little bit about third party. I'm the longest serving independent in the history of the U.S. Congress. But I think that before you cast a protest vote, uh, because either Clinton or Trump will become president, think hard about it. This is not a governor's race. It's not a state legislative race. This is the presidency of the United States. And I would say to those people out there who are thinking of the protest vote, think about what the country looks like and whether you're comfortable of four years of a Trump presidency. And I would suggest to those people, let us elect Hillary Clinton as president. And the day after, let us mobilize millions of people around the progressive agenda, which, by the way, was passed, as you know, in the Democratic platform. We worked very hard on that. The most progressive platform in the history of American politics and say to Secretary Clinton, let us work together to implement that platform. That's where we got to go. All right. Having been an
1: enthusiastic Bernie supporter, why in this case do you think his message didn't seem to stick?
2: Um, I think, I think uh, Bernie supporters, a lot of us sort of saw through his, that message there, really? Um, you know, if you if you take a step back, obviously Bernie wouldn't want Donald Trump to be president. I think he would even, you know, we what we heard is that he would have chosen Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump a, a million times.
1: Well, if just to be fair, in that clip, if I had let it just go on and on, he does go on to talk about how they had worked together to make the DNC's platform as progressive as it had ever been. He, you know, at times. His support felt maybe a little begrudging, but, you know, I think over time, he did kind of come to the feeling that they, they did work together. And they did put together a, I think, fairly progressive pat- platform, especially for the Democratic Party. So I, I don't necessarily think that he was just being like, well, I guess. All,
2: all things, yeah, all things considered, um, there was a lot of uh, good movement um on in the progressive platform of the democratic party but there are a lot of things that were very much missed opportunities
0: excuse me
2: um for example the one of the main reasons um why i got behind jill stein after um after bernie ended up uh losing the primary whether you know you agree if it he lost it fairly or unfairly um is because the green party largely um, as a whole, doesn't take money from, uh, special interests or, uh, super PACs. And for me, that is like the end all be all. Like, I don't, I don't care who you are. If that's your promise and, and you stick to it, like you, you deserve, you deserve my vote. I mean, it, it just end up happening to be Jill Stein, who is, you know, she she is, is is very smart. She's brave, but in a way, she's kind of vanilla, <laughs> um, to put it lightly. She's she's uh, kind of boring. She doesn't uh, rebel rouse. She's almost like a, a Hillary Clinton.
0: I hope you're joking
2: because there was a lot there was a lot more people mobilizing for Bernie Sanders than than there were for for Hillary Clinton. Well,
1: okay, well, I want to come back to the primary election. Uh, the comment you made just so I can. Understand this. So, are you under the um, the mindset that it was fraudulently won? I, uh,
2: I I I don't know if I can necessarily say fraudulent. I think that there were um, some levers that were pulled.
3: What does that mean?
2: Um, that definitely leveraged Hillary Clinton's campaign over over Bernie Sanders' campaign in the primaries. Um, you know, you can look to. Um, voter suppression in Arizona, uh, tactics of closing down uh, polling places um, from the elect from the Democratic primary, you know, uh, eight years ago. Um, you could look to um, New York, uh, New York City, especially where in Brooklyn, which would have been, you know, one of Bernie Sanders' strongholds. There, there were 300,000 uh, purged voters. Uh, from the from the voting um, index, granted, you know, I'm I'm saying this that wouldn't have won him New York. He got his ass kicked in New York. Uh-huh. But still, there's there's a lot of things that the that the Democratic establishment does that doesn't necessarily, you know, get a. It, it, it's not necessarily like out there for everyone to be like, oh, like, look at what they're doing. It's more of like a nudge, nudge wink wink, type of uh, type of thing, so I definitely think that there was an incredible amount of leverage
1: well okay, I mean that you got into a lot there, but here 's what i 'll say about the primary you know result and fiasco that ensued. Mm-hmm. I think that debbie Wasserman Schultz and her you know assistant chair of the national convention, I think they had a preference, and i don 't think that 's surprising to anyone, and i don 't think that is really that's weird considering she had been she had she had been a member of Hillary's campaign in 08 and everyone knew that everyone knew oh, that yeah. everyone knew that when they put her in that position now and so i can understand absolutely why her emails which were stolen and revealed the day before the convention might w- would have looked really bad and rubbed uh bernie people the wrong way because she had a preference i mean there's no denying she had a preference um, and, right, so, right, right. and so a lot of the stuff she was probably saying behind the scenes, you know what, to be honest with you, if, if some of the stuff, because I was on tour during most of the primary, and there, and I was rooming constantly with someone who was kind of on the fence, really, about who they wanted to win, and so, you know, when it got really close, and when the primary debates were really heating up, I'm sure I said some stuff that had it just been printed and sent out to the world, it probably looked like I was totally a Bernie basher, and totally, you know, leaning trying to finagle him into being a Hillary supporter. Now, obviously... So sure, we all
2: got caught up in the heat of the moment.
1: Right. And so, and so here's... But My point is, while that, given her position and her known past of supporting Hillary, I can see why that would look bad. However, nothing, they, nothing that preferences or emails actually changed any votes or, or discounted votes or whatever. Like, you know... You know, you're talking about like um voter suppression, stuff like that. I feel like if that really played a huge hand, I feel like Bernie would never in his wildest dreams have been like, you know what, get behind Hillary. If he truly thought he had been robbed, he would have it would have been he never I mean, it would have rightfully so, it would have been shout up from the rooftops. But also, and this is another thing that I think a lot of people forget about, with those emails that are stolen, um, whether they're whether it's Podesta's emails or Hillary's emails with Robbie Mook or whoever, one thing the emails right, right. One thing that the Russians and WikiLeaks, who are now partnering with the Russians, do is let's say they steal 200 emails. Once they take a whole bunch, they are selectively choosing which ones to send to the media and which ones to dish out to the DNC. So they can, you know, just like I can create a fake ID, they can, you know, mm-hmm. they could come up with some email that said something whatever, and send it along, but that's not even the point. It, they wouldn't even have to really do that. They got their point across. Their point was to send it out at a specific time so that it would create chaos, and that's what it did. But It sure
2: did. It yeah. sure did, yeah. Right.
1: Um, so So after revisiting some of our old Facebook debates from last fall, it looks like you may have been under the impression that Hillary Clinton, after becoming the nominee, was guaranteed to win in the general election. Thus, it didn't really, your vote wasn't really all that critical. Is that fair to say?
2: Uh, oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, I thought it was going to be like the, the French election that just happened, where Le Pen got, you know, killed by, what was it, 20, 30 points? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I didn't imagine that this was even going to be close. All of the news channels, potentially even Fox News, too, you know, was like, I don't know about this Trump guy. <laughs> well, so
1: I it, I think they it, were pretty my... supportive of him, but you felt like a lot of the mainstream outlets were kind of shaking their pom-poms for Hillary. I feel like having been a big Hillary supporter, I feel like they mm-hmm. they were, A, they wanted to play up the primary battle like uh-huh. like never before. So if anything, they were trying to play up Bernie in that regard, because She had already, she had all the momentum going in. So they wanted to play him up so that they could really have a battle. But also, even in the general election, I never felt like there was truly, even on like MSNBC, if they ever got an interview with Hillary, the first thing they'd be like is, so let's talk about these emails. You know, are you over Benghazi? It's like, what? I mean, like, so I felt like they were, I don't know. I never really felt like there was anyone, anyone really shaking their pom-poms for Hillary. So, but here's the thing. I understand that because you know again visiting revisiting some of our Facebook debates, it seemed like more than being anti-Hillary, you were anti the two-party system, right?
2: Yes, it, exactly. I mean, I, I was. I definitely got caught up in the mix closer to the election for sure. But there is there is an incredible amount of systematic failure um, that led to, you know, these these two candidates going head to head and
1: wait, wait, sorry. Before Can you, can you explain how you mean by that? I,
2: sure, 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 sure. So statistically, um, these two candidates, Hillary Clinton and, and President Trump were the two, uh, most unlike candidates in, in like the history. Like they had the lowest approval rating and granted, you know, when it comes to the polls, you know, they were very skewed and whatnot. But at the same time, it was almost like a, I would be sitting there and I would see these polls and their low poll numbers and I would ask myself, how the hell did we get to this point? And a, a a lot of what it is is, you know, the reason why people didn't come out to to vote for Jill Stein in, you know, the way, the massive waves that they were supporting Bernie Sanders is because the green party was um was largely illegitimate because they were not at the presidential debate is, is that does that does that hold true with you
1: um i think that the reason i think them not being at the debate cert- certainly uh made it almost impossible for them to get their names out there as much as the other two candidates. I think not being at debates is a huge detriment, for sure.
2: Huge. I'm, I'm totally with you. And so when you look at the debate rules, it, it, the rule is something like you need to be polling at 15% to be invited to the debate. I don't feel like 15% polling is, is a good standard uh, to be allowed into a, into a debate. Do you do you agree?
1: Do you disagree? I I no. I think that the standard they use for whether or not you can get to a debate is is totally, you know, fallible and can be fixed. The only reason it's hard for me to get on board and really you know kind of enthusiastically agree is because had Jill Stein been on the debate stage. I do not think she would have done well at all. And in fact, I think she might have done herself more harm than good by being up there. I feel like you were wanting a viable alternative to the two mainstream options. But mm-hmm. is Jill Stein really a viable alternative? Like, could you, do you really think she was ready to be the president of the United States? Truly?
2: I uh, Truly, truly, yes. Uh you know was she as experienced as say a Hillary Clinton no was she more experienced than a Donald Trump yes did she have you know good good ideas that were along my idea my own ideology when it comes to you know making you know aggressive um investments into renewable energy being you know um anti-war and anti-conflict uh you know breaking actually wanting to uh get like a 21st century uh glass steagall into place so that the banks uh so that the, our largest financial institutions wouldn't take the entire american economy down if they you know failed themselves because of placing risky bets you know you, you bet your bottom dollar i was i was all for that
1: but what about like foreign policy and you know, everything else that the president has to have, a little bit of a... Uh, has to deal with.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not... It wouldn't be Jill Stein acting on her own. She she would have, you know, a secretary of, of defense, a joint chief of staff, you know. Right, but Always who, updating.
1: What are her... Who does she have a connection with, or did you see campaigning for her that you looked at and thought, oh, they would make a great secretary of defense?
2: Um... I mean, I, I, I can't really say. Um...
1: Okay. Well, and then you were talking about, um, when you were talking, you said that we ended up with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, who are were the two least popular candidates mm-hmm. that since we've been keeping track of that. And, you know, that that's undeniable. That's what we found out. But at the same time, you do have to think about, you know, well, okay, Hillary Clinton did run for Senator of New York twice and win. That was an elected office, so she had to win an election at least twice. When you look at uh, Jill Stein's um, electoral history, she's lost almost every election she's ever participated in at almost every level. I mean, in 2002, she ran a losing bid for governor of Massachusetts. She got 3.5% of the vote. Two years later, she ran and lost for a seat in the Massachusetts House of Representatives. Two years Mm -hmm. later, in 2006, she ran for Massachusetts Secretary of Commonwealth, lost that race, as well. In 2010, she ran for something else. And so she's never won a race. I mean, like, and so, you know, if we're going to be talking about electoral past and popularity and who's liked and who's not liked, I don't really know if General Stein has the upper hand there.
2: You you know what, you're, you're absolutely right there. Um, She, she also was not one of the most, you know, likable candidates. Um, Like I said earlier, uh, in this conversation, she was, she was rather vanilla, you know. She didn't bring any excitement. She didn't rebel rouse. Um, there was not a lot of, of I feel like, context or or character to Jill Stein. Um,
1: See, I feel like but, when you say vanilla, I feel like that's. I mean, that's Hillary Clinton. She was the boring candidate. She was the one that everyone <laughs> yeah. rolled eyes about. And my, so,
2: my God, yes, right? I mean, they they both are on the same level. It's just like no. I'm, I'm, I just like sit here, like dumbfounded, thinking back on, on you know, the past two years, and, and like, is is that the best that our country can offer, or is that just what our system, you know, has created for itself? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, every single one of us, you know, has uh, an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent who, who has a lot more charisma than and could potentially do a better job than who, you know, our top four choices.
1: See, that's the thing, though. I can't, I don't, like, yes, every they all have their foibles and whatnot, but to mm-hmm. compare them to Hillary Clinton, see, I feel like that is a real false equivalency, because look, if we were talking about who's going to run for the chairman of the internal medicine department at a hospital, I don't think mm-hmm. Hillary would be able to compete with Jill Stein, to be honest, and I don't think sure, it, it would sure. be, I don't even think it would be a legitimate race between the two. But when you're talking about I mean, I don't need to list off Hillary Clinton's credentials to you. I have before, <laughs> and, right. but, but you know, having well, been well, well having well. been the first lady of a in Arkansas for a long time, first lady of the United States, plus a senator, plus Secretary of State. You know, you can you can look at those as positives or negatives, but the bottom line is she did gain relationships and experience in all of those different avenues, so that she knows what their job is, how they go about their job, and how she can work with them from
2: Sure, I mean easily she was she was the most experienced candidate. Um qualified. But uh y- yes, but the the my main issue is is like my my vote for for Jill Stein wasn't because I thought that she could win, you know. Uh I I voted uh for Jill Stein because I had hoped that they would have gotten to 5% of the vote and then would have received millions of dollars in federal funding. I'm I'm pretty sure that in the National Green Party uh has like maybe like three hundred thousand dollars in like their national like their national account. Like that's not that's is that's nothing compared to what the Democrats hold and that's nothing compared to, you know, what the the Republicans hold. In if I can invest my vote so that in twenty uh twenty or twenty twenty four we actually do have, you know, uh Uh, a third party hopefully it is not Jill Stein um, (laughs) uh, then you know then we'll all hopefully be able to make you know better decisions instead of this less lesser of two evils type of thing. I see. Uh, I just get, I
1: get, I hate, I, the lesser of two evils thing, it does, it will always bother me. Because I don't see Hillary that way at all. I think she was a brilliant candidate, one of the most qualified, brilliant candidates we will ever, ever have. And I think it's a real tragedy that we are missing out on her presidency. But when I hear, you know, people, Democrats were so quick to turn on her and, it just really i mean cuz i i don't think we helped her out much i don't think we kind of really understand that the campaign against her was way more than we've seen ever before we've never been hacked i mean the our election has never been undermined like it is right now right like,
2: we are all we are always the ones doing the hacking well and now the tables have turned and it's just like
1: but what i don't i don't know if we hack other democracies elections we might we i think we kind of you know in terms of our foreign policy I think we. I don't think. I think our foreign policy, you know, the way we kind of impose our viewpoints or whatever on other de- governments, that's one thing, and we can have that debate. But in terms of like actually going under and like spewing this disinformation campaign, I really, I, I don't think we. I don't think we government sanctioned that. But that's something we can talk about later. Anyway, in October, I shared a video of John Oliver ultimately, ultimately doing more of a brutal takedown of Gary Johnson and Jill Stein than I ever could have. But I posted it on your wall, and you replied. For the record, he's not wrong. Now, this was a month before the election. If he wasn't wrong, what then was your? What was motivating you to go and be like? Well, he's right. She's unqualified, and she gets my vote.
2: Right, right. Uh, so once again, I, I got to go back to this whole concept of of not being bought um, by not taking donations from. You know, uh, super PACs or um, special special interest lobbyists of that sort. Um, uh, it, it, you could be a, a stick figure. <laughs> you know, you could be a uh, you could be a tree stump. And if you were running against two other opponents who are taking uh, money from super PACs and special interests, I would I would vote for the tree stump uh, because to me. I feel like a politician um, should not be uh, making decisions based off of who gives them the most money. I feel like they should be making decisions off of what their constituents want. And when you look at things like lower drug prices, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, or Independent, majority of Americans want that. But for some reason, we can't seem to get that through Congress or the Senate because of the incredible... Obstruction. Uh, ties. Uh, obstruction, sure, but also the ties that both Democrats and Republicans have to the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, it, it's...
1: But don't it's, you think we were closer with the ACA than we would be if this new American Healthcare Act were to pass? Um yes. <laughs> you yes. do. I
2: mean uh, I I have no idea what is in the uh, Well, it's a, a catastrophe. A, yeah, I I ha- I haven't read it. I'm sure 90% of the senators and congressmen haven't read it.
1: But my point is with well, first of all, back to what you just said a few second minute whatever, minute ago. If yeah. if the tree stump was the only one who didn't take any donor funding. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I understand your inclination to vote for the tree stump if the other two candidates were Jack the Ripper and Charles Manson. But that's the thing. I don't feel like that was the uh, uh, the choice this this time around. Now, I think it's important to stick to the fact of what you were saying, that you, you didn't feel like Hillary had any chance of losing. Had you known that it was going to be this close, if you could go back in time, would you... Do you have any regrets? Would you have done anything differently?
2: Oh, I have. I have... I have no, I have no regrets on how Ugh. I voted. I mean, uh, you know, un, un, unfortunately, I, I feel like the Clinton campaign did themselves a disservice for, you know, not stepping foot in Michigan. Um, but you, you aren't going to vote I, for
1: her either way.
2: Well, that's that. That's okay. I mean, I'm I'm one one voter. I I have a lot less influence over people than Hillary Clinton and her entire campaign does.
1: But we should make it known that you are from Michigan, and you voted in Michigan, correct?
2: Yep, exactly, yep.
1: Right, where Hillary lost by 10,000-some votes. And Mm so, you know, it's it's just ironic, because when your your idea was that your vote wouldn't matter, and it turns out that your vote might have been one of the most, you know, impactful. So, if there's any—I mean, so, okay, so you might not have any regrets, but— I guess maybe the learning that what we can all learn from this is that you should never, we should never take anything for granted and we really should think of our vote as sacred and impactful, right?
2: Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you there. I feel like, you know, going one step further that, you know, you should vote for whoever's policies align closely with yours. Um, But there's an incredible amount of tribalism um, in this country um, for people who are like, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Democrat and I'm gonna vote Democrat no matter what, or I'm gonna donate to the DNC, uh, you know, no matter what. And and like the interesting thing is, is like even the Democratic Party is a huge spectrum.
1: Right. See, here's the thing though, when you're talking about you know the people that Donald Trump fooled, I I don't personally think that he won the election because of the people who voted for him. Because, obviously, as we know, he got three million fewer votes than Hillary Clinton. I think the reason he won the election is because I think the progressive and liberal, you know, parties were so (laughs) fragmented and so splintered that she wasn't able to band enough votes together in the states that it ended up mattering. And so, you know, I have to say, Dan, like, I knew that you and I weren't going to agree on everything and whatnot, but it it does surprise me to hear you say that you have, you know, if you could go back in time, you have no regrets. Only because, obviously, it's a huge hypothetical, but you, you, you said earlier in this conversation that a large portion of why you were so comfortable distancing yourself from Hillary Clinton and whatnot was because you felt like there was no chance of a Donald Trump presidency. If now you could go back in time knowing he was actually probably going to win, you still wouldn't feel inclined to vote for the one who actually had a chance to beat him.
2: I mean, if I did, would that technically change anything in the end? Who knows
1: if, if enough, if enough people, I mean like, but that's the thing.
2: Everyone went, went into that. Let me, let me just, uh, I just want to add something real quick. Sure. Um, So uh, Pew Research showed that in the 2016 election, about 55% of eligible voters cast their ballot. And so what that means is that 45% of registered voters um, just simply didn't vote uh, Uh for, for any candidate for one reason or another. Um, now, that statistic compared with other developing countries puts the United States, like, way, way, way behind other developed nations, especially when um, – I think the figure was, like, 86 uh, percent of our population who are of aged are registered voters. It's like if we had automatic voter registration at 18, we'd have another 14 percent of people sure. eligible to vote. Um, you know – it's one thing or another if they would have actually made it to the polls, but it speaks to the election system that we have in the states. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about 10,000 voters, um, you know, who decided to vote, you know, for the Green Party candidate over the Democratic candidate in Michigan when, like, the that's such, like, a small picture. Like, the huge picture is the amount of people who were eligible to vote who who didn't vote you know one of my things is like it would have been really interesting to see if the uh... if the clinton supporters instead of constantly it it was it was both you know you you have clinton supporters and Sanders supporters going at each other's throats uh... and it's like what if The strategy was instead of trying to persuade, you know, people who were going to vote third party, what if they just tried to persuade people who were not registered to vote to go vote? What? I mean, that would have been...
1: Well, because the people who, because the third party voters had already taken a step towards voting, so we knew they were going to vote.
2: Sure, sure, but we can't assume that they would have voted for. But also,
1: you're talking right. about the people who were who were supporting Bernie, who ran for the Democratic nomination. So I don't think it's and you know kind of. Sure. I, don't, I don't think it's weird that they went after Bernie supporters because just like uh, Barack Obama went after Hillary supporters when he won the eight nomination, they were both running for the Democratic nomination. So sure.
2: I, think... sure. I mean, you're right. It's not outlandish. You know, it, it's totally what happens. But then again, like there were 45% of registered voters. That's like a hundred million people who just were like, fuck it. I'm not voting for anyone. Right. And I think, or, yeah, or, I think voter turnout un, was uninformed or sure. maybe they, they didn't know, you know, how to vote. Maybe a lot of them never voted before. I, I mean, that that's the thing we're talking about, like almost a hundred million people, mm-hmm. um, that, that, you know if if our election system you know gave mail-in ballots or potentially hey if we could one day vote online and have an encryption sort of uh, firewall so that there's no way to you know hack an election we, we would see much huger numbers I mean right now the the Democrats I think they have like 30 percent of registered voters uh, registered Democrats and Republicans have something like and the independent block is like the largest with 40%. So it's fascinating, you know, that when we discuss these two parties, we're actually talking about minority parties.
1: What are
3: you talking about?
1: Look, I'm I'm always been I'm you know, I'm not even against required voting. I think that voter turnout was an absolute disgrace this year and so, you know, that's something that for sure I'm always I'm all for. But in this case, and I'm not talking about you necessarily specifically, but I'm talking about in this past election, it wasn't just the people who were unregistered. I mean like like okay, like here's the point I'm here's the point I'll end with on this particular topic. But with sure. Jill Stein Whether or not, if she was the one who you felt most aligned with your ideals and your positions, that's totally fine. And I think it's great to find a candidate like that. However, you said that you knew on election day she had zero chance of winning. You said that they were hoping to get like 5% of the vote. So wouldn't it only make sense to hope and pray that the next president be someone who at least somewhat aligns with your beliefs and values as opposed to the one who truly seemed to represent everything, everything, and then some that you're against? See, because I guess my I mean, only my point I is mean, that yeah,
2: no, no, that 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 makes a ton of sense. But like, what I what I'm saying is like, you know, that's in hindsight.
1: Well, no, <laughs> I mean, Canada's we knew really, I mean, you could have you knew she wasn't going to be you knew she wasn't going to win on election day.
2: Right, right. But I wanted her to get to that five percent of of the vote so that she would uh, the Green Party, not not simply Jill Stein by herself. The Green Party that is going actually through. It's being revamped it's being reinvigorated um, with a lot younger um, uh, more sort of rebel rebel rousing types of individuals like Jabari Prisport um, that um, that they would be able to get you know campaign finances whether it be on a national level or a local level. I mean you know there's there's Democrats who are in office in city council right now that haven't received a dime from the DNC or I can't imagine how much help the DNC gives to, you know, local level candidates. And I think that was one of the biggest, um, disagreements, uh, when it came to who would be the next chair of the DNC. Uh, you had, what what was his name? Tom Price, Tom Perez, Tom Perez, uh, and, uh, Keith Ellison, who is, who is Bernie's, um, uh, who was Bernie's choice for DNC chair, and you know they were pushing pushing very much different uh, sort of uh, narratives. Tom was like, hey, like we need, you know, we do need these big donors, and Keith Ellison was like, well, we need to actually go after the small dollar donations. Uh, we need to be investing in in local elections even if they are in, you know, Republican held districts because we need to be showing the democrat at least those who are starting to enter local level um, government that we are behind them that we support them. Well, but- here's the
1: thing. I think that when it comes to local elections like the one you're helping run which is uh Jabai Brisport, Jabai 2017.nyc, I think that I think that local elections are unquestionably, the place to really go for idealism and whoever you truly support 100%, no matter what, because when it comes to local elections, that really does come down to just literally number of votes. That's it. So,
2: oh, yeah, Yeah, there's no electoral college,
1: right? But uh, when uh, it comes to stuff like this, when you have to kind of play the play the map and play the game that has been set up, I think that when it, finding a candidate who embraces your values and who you truly love is totally understandable and crucial, even. But mm-hmm. when it comes to you know comes to placing support for a certain candidate above all like practical consequences, that's when it that's when I start to question it. We have to when voting for national elections. I think that once you once you get past a certain point, like you know, I was a Hillary supporter in 08, and I hated when she lost the nomination. But after, but I was never.
2: Yeah, I, I was a uh, I was Obama.
1: Okay, I was never going to vote for someone else, though, you know, because after you get past a certain point, it has to come down to, you know, the purpose of voting is not necessarily just to express my fidelity to a worldview or for one particular candidate, but it comes down to, you know, outcomes and you know who's going to produce outcomes closest to the one I want. Sure, I would love to have, I would love to have uh, Kucinich as president, but he was never going to win, so therefore I had to start. Dennis? Yeah. For sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. And there's so much more to talk about, but we do have to kind of wrap it up. But I will just say this. I think that if there was ever a time for different factions and different mindsets of the same progressive liberal mindset, if there was ever a time for people to band together, put their differences aside and work together, it would be now to fight this evil regime that is kind Mm -hmm. of taking itself down, to be quite honest. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, they they like shooting themselves in the foot for sure. I I really think that, you know, even people who voted for Donald Trump want him to be held accountable. And, mm. and there's there's so many places that we can agree with people who who voted for Trump. I don't
1: know about that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like or I want that. to think that's true, but I don't know. <laughs> So what what was it? this This actually was my last question written down. So what was it? Was it just the fact that she took super PAC money? Is that really what you couldn't accept about Hillary?
2: Oh no, no. There was there was a a bunch of things. Um All right. Well, uh, I so,
1: <laughs> we have, I I can't believe I didn't ask that earlier because I we have to wrap it up. We have 2 minutes left. But Dan Zimberg is okay. working on Jab- uh, Jabari Brisport's Green Party campaign for City Council, District 35 covers Prospect Heights, Crown Heights, Fort Greene, Clinton Hill and Bed-Stuy, and the website is jabari2017 dot nyc dan i appreciate you coming on and i would would love to have you back on again sometime when we can continue the conversation
2: thank you very much john you know what i appreciate it and i I accept the invitation wholeheartedly all right i appreciate it and i I love working with you and i love having this conversation with you well
1: thanks dan i think it's important to people at least are able to talk if nothing else so thanks a lot yeah we'll talk soon for sure sounds good man okay you are listening to the next best thing on radio free Brooklyn.